the theme for the evening talk is a matter of life. Um, some days ago, I was listening to the uh, BBC radio and <coughs> on the main news for the evening was uh, an item that uh, NASA uh, scientists had found a, a meteor, meteorite which was reported to have uh, fallen off Mars some uh, time ago and to their uh, surprise there was some micro, what would the word be, microbiology or anyway some possibility in the long distant distant past that there was uh, life on Mars and this was the main news item as I say on the radio it was front page news in uh, Britain um, through in the media and tremendous uh, wave of excitement was generated uh, out of all of this and I find myself a little baffled why such a discovery should generate such a worldwide attention according to the press and it's a, perhaps it's an illustration might be of the fact but also of course of uh, um, tremendous convenience as well and we should never underestimate the support of various motives and intentions in the revelation of facts and it could well be that here we are presented with some information I use it as a small example and that presentation of it is perhaps because there is a, um, a diminishing of interest in huge expenditure on space programs and this discovery of the possibility of life out, th out there generates more public interest. It comes at a very convenient time so we can get even more spaced out than we are already. And while listening to this BBC radio uh, news report, um, the thought that arose in my mind, and uh, hopefully it was a common one, that um, some of us are not convinced that there is life on Earth, um, uh, let, let alone uh, uh, life uh, somewhere else. And it's no easy task in the kind of climate in which you and I live and breathe to actually discover where life is. And just a small extension, I'm not going to make this a spaced out talk, though it's beginning to sound like it. A small extension of that is that there is often quite a lot of attention given in conversations and uh, media and programs, dramas like X-Files and those other uh, uh, events, um, in terms of um, intelligent life being coming down from other planets and other galaxies uh, down to Earth. And one of the common questions that people uh, do ask, and rather understandably, is how is it that so few people 
in terms of the numbers on this earth, have actually witnessed or seen these uh, um, UFOs and uh, species from uh, other planets coming down to earth. And to me it's always been extremely obvious that any intelligent life force coming down to earth and seeing what's going on on this earth wouldn't hang around for a minute and would get back to where they came from and said we'll leave this lot to get on with it and we won't touch them. Uh, and if they didn't, they wouldn't be very intelligent. <laughs> so, as far as the rest goes, what's out there, I think we can best uh, uh, leave it uh, well alone and try to get ourselves a little bit more down to earth and in, in touch with what's going on in the field of life. And the question is, is there, is there really life on earth? And in you know, raising a small question, which I suppose our normal response to it would be, well, of course, of course there is, and it's demonstrated through this, that, and the other. But uh, got in mind, of course, a deeper sense uh, here of things. And one of the things which ought to concern each and every one of us is how much of our life is being sacrificed, lost, given up, neglected and forgotten for the sake of some overshadowing um, non-life view. And for some people that can occur, as I was hearing from one person uh, 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 earlier today, for people who are working in the, in the corporate uh, sector. And in that, in some major uh, companies, as we know, the tremendous pressure on competitiveness, on efficiency, on productivity, on profit, is such that it so easily and frequently isn't a support for life, it's a denial uh, of life. And those of us who have spent um, various times in uh, developing uh, nations, those who, of us who know what it is to be uh, poor and impoverished and marginal marginalized, know how submission to certain values is a denial of life, is the deprivation uh, of, of life. And thus one does find oneself, I think, as a, hopefully as a thoughtful and caring human being, wonder, wondering about whether the quality of life on Earth is, on Earth is being enhanced or is, or is actually being deprived by the kind of institutions which you and I are associated with as both as consumers and some of you as uh, shareholders as well, or as employees or employers. So if one's concerned with the quality of, of life, it will mean looking and questioning of what does enhance it, what does really bring out of human beings and out of society the real feeling of, of life on earth and the real access and touch with it. We look at our political in, in, in institutions and they are not much different the degree of love, of self-interest, of privilege, of power, of control, 
shows itself again and again at the expense of human life, animal life, environment, environmental uh, life. And we've been reading in, the, in uh, uh, Europe the um, tragedy of the cutting of uh, welfare programs uh, in this country. They were pathetic to start with and they've become increasingly more pathetic um, in recent administration. We've been reading of the terrible cost in terms of health to, to people with very little support. And people say, well, what's all that got to do with sitting on my butt, watching my breath, or um, whatever? It's got everything to do with it. If we speak uh, of uh, awareness in life and of compassion in life, of interconnectedness and interdependence uh, in life as something which is revealing life, then it might well be that there are a number of people who are sitting in this hall uh, uh, on this very retreat have some very important and very serious questions to be asking themselves, ourselves, about our relationship to the institutions and forms that we are associated with. And for a number of people that will be taking of risks. To a number of people that will be asking questions. For the number of people um, that will be looking at the idea of career uh, versus right livelihood, looking at competitiveness versus cooperation, looking at interconnectedness um, ra rather than divisiveness. And in awareness and in meditation and in conscious uh, life, those kind of questions do arise. And as I say, in raising those kind of questions, it might well mean taking of risks, might well mean saying no to. And when one hears, as I was hearing today, and it's not an uncommon story, where people who are um, in the work sector, as probably many, if not most of you, uh, are, how easily the preoccupation and obsession with work, which is quite apparent just in the two groups that I had today. The pre how much time, focus, energy, thought and compelling need that goes on in the marketplace for people. How, m how many people are saying in this country, more than any other countries that I go to, and it's a fair uh, number in the, in, in the West and el elsewhere, of how little holiday people have in this country, how little free time, how many people in this country are working 50, 60, 70 hours a week. Fear, insecurity, dominating consciousness to such a degree that one has little time for life because one is so much concerned with results, so much concerned with job security, so much fear of downsizing and, and all the other monstrosities of the workplace. And there needs to be a, a rebellion against it, a revolution, a, a questioning people saying, this is intolerable. And it doesn't matter what the size of the, the income is. As one person said, speaking with a, 
a man middle management earning $400,000 a year worked for the same accountancy firm for the past 25 years and then saying, what's happened to my life? Sir, your life is such that you are a slave to the aims and objectives of your company. You have no life. You gave it away for $400,000 a year. There's no life in that. And sometimes it's an alarming situation for people suddenly to, re to realize they're much as a, a, a prisoner and trapped as those of other insidious regimes that we know about. As I say, spiritual life, awareness and facing of our existence will require from a number of people in this hall some questioning of my relationship to the work that I'm engaged in. How am I in this particular field? Do I feel honestly and deeply my natural freedom as a human being? Or am I just a servant, a slave and... Uh, a dependent on the aims and the whims of the corporation or whatever. No easy task to question. No easy task to uh, look, into, look into these things. And it sends ripple waves through some people's minds when we do start. But surely what we're offered is intolerable. Too, there's too much anxiety in human existence, in our culture. Too much fear, too much worry, too much pressure, too much panic, too much obsessing about tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, or whatever. And so we generate together and collectively a kind of environment, it's a small environment, a kind of environment which is for the purpose of meditation, yes. For the purpose of being in touch with ourselves and for producing a certain kind of space where if some of those points that I referred to are, you know in your heart, are relevant for you. And there are just a number. And if it's just one person, it's enough. And since I know it's at least one person, I'll carry on talking. That if one knows that, then don't put it aside during these days. Don't be afraid to live. Don't be afraid, all I can say, to, to take risks for something greater. <clears throat> when we look at ourselves again, and in, in that everything that I just referred to, for plenty of people in this hall, has no personal or direct relevance in, in this particular time. One has a sense of the authenticity authenticity of one's uh, work, of its value for oneself uh, and others, that one knows one's intentions and heart is uh, in the right place. All, all of that can be there, and there's a certain uh, integrity which goes uh, along with that. But of course, also in the field of work, money, associated activities, there can be underlying not in any terms of moral or uh, selfish sense, but underlying preoccupations. And it might be that during today here, you've been sitting here 
Not only so far you haven't been able to find your breath, you haven't been able to find your nose, haven't been able to find IMS, haven't been able to find your room over in the annex or, or whatever. And the primary reason for that is that the, that the mind is involved in a kind of world of unfinished business. And so the sitting and walking where the life form is obviously and clearly manifesting its, it itself is forgotten, is neglected, and the preoccupation is in the form of thought. And thus for some the thought is simply about work, work, work and work. And the indicator of that, of course, can reveal and show itself in, in what I haven't done, what hasn't been finished, and therefore the unfinished business that's going on, and what I have to do, either to, to continue the work, or in a number of cases, to get work, which is becoming an increasing uh, dubious privilege. And these two forms of thinking, finishing and starting, can be running through consciousness so thick and so fast and so frequently, there's very little feeling for life, very little closeness with the intimacy of existence, with the warmth of the day, with the presence of the nature, with organic life breathing in and out, with the, the contact with others and the shared silence and all the wonders and mysteries of the day and all that life has to offer, that's not available. Excluded. We're cut off from life and we're trapped, stuck mercilessly in a field of thinking about what I haven't finished and what I have to start. And it's a great pity to live one's life in that pattern with the rest of life trying, saying, hey, there is a little bit more to existence than I finishing and I starting. And if you and I just stop and we just look at ourselves for a moment or two, if that's not too much time, and just and, and ask ourselves, when suffering arises, suffering, I'm talking of its uh, the feelings and thoughts that arise with it, when, when suffering is arising and surfacing, generally speaking, it has to do with finishings and startings. You think of most situations in life where you have some issue going on for you. Usually it's around something's finishing or something's starting or um, being in the middle of something, which is a kind of polite way of feeling trapped between starting and finishing and starting. And so there's this exposure to this existence that we, that we have, sometimes feeling rather like aliens uh, uh, on this... Uh, on this earth, the exposure touches us in various ways. Various events of life have an impact on us. And we ask ourselves, what is it that's going on inside? 
that I have such a terrible job dealing with something which is finishing, which I don't want to finish, or something which is starting, which I don't want to start, or something wedged, as I said, somewhere um, uh, in, in between, or being afraid something will come to an end, or being afraid something won't start, won't get going. And this world view becomes my prior, my, my first priority. And I can't imagine that there actually can be any life other than dwelling on those three points. Starting, finishing, and the blob in between. And I, can't, and I think that's it. That's the structure of my mind, the structure of my emotional life, the structure of my thinking, the structure of time, and I'm involved in it. And that's it. Tragic. Tragic. Huge tragedy to imagine those movements which come and pass is that's it and that's nothing else outside of it, nothing else but that going on. The peculiar thing with all of that movement that takes place inwardly is and how we sacrifice our freedom for it in a way that a central uh, link-up in it all is the force of wanting. Shada uh, just commented to me um, before I uh, came here, asked me what I was going to uh, talk about in the evening talk, and um, I, I said I had no idea, and I still don't. And <laughs> She, she said that in the group today, there was... Um, people laughed. They didn't realize I mean these things. And um, Shada said that in her group today, there was some discussion and touching upon uh, the character of uh, expectation. And of course, naturally, you and I have um, various uh, expectations in life, and, and hopefully, of course, our expectations are tempered, in fact, with uh, a wisdom and clarity about change about and understanding about interconnectedness, etc. Sometimes the intensification of the expectation, the intensification of expectation, which means ego investment in it, the I identified with the expectation, to such a degree it comes and takes the form of what's called desire. Now those of you who have uh, any knowledge or connection with the, the world of Buddha Dharma, um, there is little of any good to be said whatsoever about desire. And it's quite often um, misunderstood. And the desire is the uh, force of the ego identifying itself with the movement of mind which is wanting and simultaneously uh, dependent on the results for well-being, for so-called peace of mind, 
And we can live in such forces of inner movement, sometimes obsessive and habitual and uh, addictive, that we take an object out of the field of existence, we seize on it with our mind through the holding pattern, the force of desire arises in us, and directly or indirectly, we're saying, I must have this. I want, I need, I must have. And we find ourselves compelled in that movement to go after. And sometimes, as we know, some of the things where there's that compelling or addictive or compulsive or repetitive tendency to go after, it's the same thing. It's the same thing, again and again and again. The sheer frequency of repetition we call an addiction, we call an obsession, we call it a compulsive factor. What is that movement of desire, therefore carrying of dependency, to an object? And in the carrying of the dependency to it, we forget what the real intention is. The intention is not, obviously, for the thing itself. Whether it's the, the, the glass of Guinness for one person, the item of food for uh, another, for the um, um, making of money for another, for prestige for another, whatever the form that it might take. It's not the object that we're really interested in. Once getting to that which we are really interested in, what we really are interested in is the ending of the desire. We can't bear the pressure. We can't, human beings can't bear the wanting. And the only way that we have been told in our uncivilized society, unevolved culture, that we live in, that we've successfully exported worldwide, is towards getting what you want with the deception, the cruel deception on humanity that the getting of what you want in that ob object is because you really want it. What one wants is the relief from the desire. And human beings uh, 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 yearn to end the force of desire. But as we know, in reaching what we want, we do get some relief. One is dying for, a, for a, 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 a cigarettes, as some of you will have been during the day. It's usually indicated at the end of the retreat by the, the scratch marks of fingernails <laughs> in your rooms. And, and so the, the, the movement of, I must have a cigarette, I really have a have a, really need to have a, a, a cigarette. And, and then one um, goes out and walks five miles into the forest, desperately concerned that one, so that one won't be seen by anybody else, of course, risking a huge forest fire in the process. And in, in that, there's the desire, there's the wanting, there's the cigarette, there's the, the box of matches, 
desires all going there until all of that meets together. One takes the cigarette, one draws on, on the smoke, and in drawing on the smoke, finally there's what? Relief from the desire. Are we spending our life looking for the relief from desire? Is that what our daily life is all about? Is that what life is about? So, teachings are concerned with the liberation of the human spirit. Liberation. Liberation from what? Liberation from desire, which is, has got that force and ego to it that we spend so much time looking for relief from it. And therefore, there is a freedom from desire. And that has nothing to do with becoming um, like vegetables. Like, well, I have no desire, so we, what should we do? Go and bury ourselves in the garden along with the vegetables. <laughs> Not a bad idea, I suppose, but anyway. But it's a way of being which one senses and knows in one's freedom, in one's enlightenment. That there's the movement of life unfolding itself, revealing itself, and... There isn't desire in the movement. How does one know there isn't desire? Because one isn't engaged in life for the relief of desire. One isn't engaged in, in, in life to pursue ends because the, the, the force towards it is unbearable to live with. Therefore we talk of freedom of desire. From the freedom of desire comes life. Authentic life, re revealed life, enlightened life. And those teachings, these teachings, keep pointing to that again and again and again. It has nothing to do with a person who has a cigarette or whatever, a glass of beer or chocolate or whatever the fancy might be. One knows one's not in, trapped in that cycle. And that means, in a way, to explore that is a... Is a, a in a way, a, um, a living protest, in a way, against all the manipulative and, this, and the deceptions of, of, of advertising and that, all that rotten, corrupt business uh, that goes on to, to uh, um, tell, keep telling people, firstly, this is what you must have. Secondly, if you don't have it, you're missing something. And thirdly, this is how you get it. And then the, 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 the tragedy again, of, of various companies trying to make a difference between their product and somebody else's. It's laughable. It's pathetic. It's an insult to intelligence. And yet, because of consciousness, and because of being who we are in this world, we're vulnerable to it. We're vulnerable to it. I'll give you a, just a small um, personal illustration of how strong it is. I, um, I have, um, um, uh, uh, I drive a Toyota, it's a 1981, it's one of those cars, it's, it go, it, um, to go from 0 to 60 it takes about three quarters of an hour, <laughs> and, um, and uh, it drinks oil. So I went into the local uh, garage, and it had two brands of oil for sale, and one of them was uh, a known brand BP, British, British uh, Petroleum, 
and the other was an unknown, never heard of before. And there was, in this gallon or whatever it was of uh, oil, I saw my mind immediately going towards the more expensive oil. Immediately. And the guy in the garage, the local garage, he turned to me and said, what are you doing? <laughs> Thinking to buy that oil. He says, all of that oil comes from the same hole in the ground. <laughs> it turns up at refineries. The various Shell, BP and all these other gangsters turn up to pick it up. The only difference is in the advertising. You only pay more because you have to pay for their advertising to persuade you to buy it. It's the same, same oil. He says, put your finger in it, look at it, drink it. It's all the same. <laughs> and it just shows the persuasive power that the world has upon us. And for us to stop and to be still and to look at all of that and the way that you and I may feed all of that is a statement of protest in, in itself, but more importantly, it pays respect to ourself. That life matters more than being submissive to the propaganda that saturates our lives morning, noon and night and as, as insidious as any other regime on this earth to control us, to, to pull us in, or whatever. So our awareness of these, of these things uh, is a contribution to our finding a free and liberated life. And therefore it may look, be looking at work here. Maybe look, looking at our relationship to objects. It may be looking at the force of, of, of desire and seeing is there a way of being in this world in which we're not caught up in all of this. And all, all of that is that we need the space. We need a climate which is hospitable and, and kind and, and uh, supportive to all that. Why? Because we're profoundly interesting, interested in finding our freedom. Freedom from all of that. And out of that will come a natural love and a natural interconnectedness, and a natural compassion, and a natural warmth, and, a, and even more importantly, a natural deep, deep underlying sense of what life is. Because we know it, we feel it, we experience it. We, we, we know we're in touch with it. We haven't lost it. Many times people have said to me over the years, in this hall, as well as other Dharma halls, I only wish I knew about these things 20 years ago or 30 uh, years ago. How is it that it's taking me so long to, to wake up to all of these things? I would say to that, it, it doesn't matter at what point or at what time in one's life one uh, starts to uh, wake up there. And as the, as the, uh, as the, the Buddha uh, uh, said in the Dharmapada, he said, better to live one day of one's life with uh, wisdom, one day of one's life to be awake, than to spend a hundred years in blindness, uh, in ignorance, and in self-deception. And we want to make that one day liberate our life. 
enlighten our life. And that potential and that possibility is our birthright. And therefore the quest and the discovery for a free and uh, uh, liberated life is the greatest respect you can pay to yourself. The greatest respect that you can ever do for yourself. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings see into life. May all beings be free. So let's have a few minutes of uh, silence together, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.